Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Armchair Booking Podcast. My name is Steve, and meet my co-host Kyle. Say hello, Kyle. Good evening. Tonight we're going to be discussing who we think the top ten people should have been who should have beat Hulk Hogan between the years 1984 and 1988. Before we get started, I want to give some contact information and a couple of more tidbits. First, if you want to email us, you want to contact us, email us at armchairbookingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also look us up at facebook.com slash armchairbookingpodcast. And I just recently set up a Twitter page. Booking Armchair at Twitter, or at Booking Armchair. Unfortunately, somebody's already squatting on Armchair Booking. Maybe it's in there for and haven't tweeted, so they basically stole it. Um, here's the list of our archives. If you want to see this broadcast, you can download us on iTunes. You can find us also on Stitcher. And before we get started with our top ten uh, list tonight, Western World had some really, really sad news this past weekend. Our Ugandan giant passed away at the age of 70. And I remember watching him for the first time when I was about 10 years old, and he scared the bejesus out of me. Not going to lie. What about you, Kyle? I mean, what are, what are kind of memories you had watching him? He, he was a big man, and I, all I can remember is walking around, slapping, slapping the stomach. So he, I know he did three months with Hulk Hogan, who we're talking about tonight in the mid-'80s, and he was a brief member of the Dungeon of Doom. And I think he wrestled Undertaker at SummerSlam. SummerSlam 1992. Yep, in Wembley. So... We're we're starting to to lose some more stars of our generation. Yeah, we are. They're not due to any anything um, necessarily that would cause him to die at a young age. And he had diabetes, and he had lost both his legs to amputation. He was still lost him to me too soon. Mm-hmm. And by the way, when you hear cars go by, I'm actually sitting outside tonight. Uh, hopefully the traffic won't be too bad on this country road that I live on. So, um, so before we get started, I am going to go ahead and pause our first commercial break. Hopefully the commercial lets you show up this time because they didn't last week. So I'm going to pause right now for that. Okay, and now we're back, hopefully. Now, Kyle, I don't know if you did this on purpose or if this is just a <laughs> Do you know that today is Hulk Hogan's birthday? I did not know offhand that today was Hulk Hogan's birthday. <laughs> this is a scheduling coincidence. I am an idea person, and you are the one that schedules our discussions. Um, I didn't even realize it until um, I saw it uh, – announced on Facebook or something his birthday and I was like, huh, how's amazing to pull that off? And I was like, yeah, um, but today is Hulk Hogan's birthday. 
Now, when we are discussing the top ten ones who should have beaten Hulk Hogan, what exactly do you think they mean by that, Kyle? So, what we're talking about here is uh, not that Hulk Hogan is the greatest professional wrestler that ever lived or the greatest world champion, but Hulk Hogan was an entertainer, and he's definitely one of the most memorable figures of the 80s. But the way things were booked and the way things worked back then is Hulk Hogan didn't lose for four years. And he lost during the uh, main event to Andre the Giant via referee shenanigans. He held that belt for 1,470 days. So unique thing because rock and wrestling started started the big boom. Could Hulk Hogan have been a bigger star if he chased the title a little bit during that period? And would the company have been better off if he if he lost earlier. Maybe. Uh, so like you said, the chase was, the chase was a really big NWA thing. In fact, well, it was also big in the other territories. Uh, the WWF, which later evolved to the WWF, they believed in having the baby face hold it for years. And I stand corrected, I said 1,470. It was actually 1,474 days. 1,470 is Bob Backlund's lane. So, that so and they held it. They held it. You you had Bruno Bruno San Martino who held it for plus years. Pedro Morales who held it for many years, and you'd have interim or transitional champions. Uh, ben Stasiak being one. Ivan was it Ivan Koloff? Ivan Koloff, yeah, he was the. Who was the one who actually beat Bruno in the garden? And then uh, superstar Billy Graham was a one-year champion for Bob Backlund. And then Iron Sheik beats Backlund after many years. And six weeks later, you have Hulk Hogan in Madison Square Garden and... That's how things worked. But did did it hurt business? I don't think it hurt business at the time because they were trying to go nationwide and they wanted to revolve everything around Hogan. So um So I I I think he great memories of watching Hulk Hogan WrestleMania 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. I cried when he lost during 6 uh, to the Warrior. But his career, and this is not just 84 to 88, but from the time he won the title in 84 to when he unofficially retired, you know the man only lost to 14 wrestlers? 
I can believe it. So, and, and do you want to name the most random member of that? No. The genius, Lanny Poffo. <laughs> well, the reason I mentioned Nikolai is we need to go ahead and get started on the uh, batch of 10 was because Nikolai is actually our number 10 person. And well, because I explained how we... How, how did we come up with this list? Okay, how Kyle and I came up with our top 10 list. So he and I, we actually... Uh, come up independently with a list of at least 10 names. And since there's only two of us, I'd actually prefer it to be pushed out between 15 and 20 names just because of tiebreakers and things like that. And for every wrestler who's number one, I assign um, uh, it's a point system. The higher rank you are, the more points you get. For example, number one gets 20 points, number two gets 19 points, number three gets 18, so on and so forth. And Chase, I had Nikolai on my top ten, and Kyle didn't at all. You know, so this is uh, one of the first ones who we didn't necessarily agree on, but he was ranked high enough on one of our lists where he was actually in the top ten. The reason I chose Nikolai, and I know you disagree with me on this one, but we discussed this before the show started. Because Nikolai, he was over, and you got to remember between 1984 and 88, the Cold War was still going on. And he was a big, bad Russian, even though he was from Croatia. But he was playing the part of the big, bad Russian. And I think they actually could have had him beat Hogan for the title, even if to show, hey, you can have a title change and it could be the Russian, because at the same time, in the other companies, but this time they this is when Makita made his baby. And you also had Russians like Boris Zukov, who later on, of course, joined up with Nikolai. Uh, you had him, I believe, in the AWA, and then you had some in some other federations as well. On number two, I immediately declare shenanigans. <laughs> because Nikolai Volkov, there's no human way that Nikolai Volkov of or should have beat Hulk Hogan during this time period because his most influential claim to fame during this time is as a tag team wrestler because he was featured with the Iron Sheik as a tag team and then he became a tag team, the Bolsheviks, with Boris Zuk at a later period Nikolai had he had held some singles titles in the past, but he he was beyond his prime, and just not a not a believable like Nikolai Volkov would never carry the World Wrestling Federation during this period. I didn't say it would be for very long. That's why he's and, number one. Well, you ranked him number seven on your list. But he, he does not have the body type. He does not have the speaking ability. I, I find him an unworthy addition 
to the top ten list? It was all about the singing. People hated it. So, versus our tie for number eight. Yes, and I'll let you go first. So, I offer Andre the Giant, and I offer him at WrestleMania three that Andre should have went over. I have a hard time with that. I mean, I don't necessarily disagree, but they were really, really pushing Hogan as the champion. I and mean, he had already been the champion by that point for three years. Because that was the three, yeah. Um, and by this point, it's not just they were pushing him as a champion, they were pushing the product. 93,000 people showed up at the Silver Dome. I don't care what Dave Meltzer says. He can shut up. The Guinness Book says 93,000. I'm going with the Guinness Book. There was an opportunity there because the event that we're going to talk about um, in the future, you could have done a rematch at Survivor Series that would have blown away the rest of three numbers. Where would you have it? So, WrestleMania three was their first one that was actually held in a big stadium like that. So they they could have helped anywhere. The rematch, Hogan Andre. If Andre went over clean at WrestleMania three, the rematch would have done super numbers for nineteen eighty seven. But I wonder about the merchandising. I was thinking about all the, the little Hulkamaniacs and, you know, they were buying all the T-shirts and they are buying the little Hulk Hogan dolls and the Hulk Hogan foam fingers. But imagine Hogan has to defeat the entire human family to get a rematch. Maybe. Just uh, maybe Andre wasn't the star because he meant the mouthpiece been age at that point. But he did beat him in 88. He, he was the one to dethrone Hogan. I just suggest it could have happened a little sooner. Well, um, maybe. You know, I just don't think, I don't think listening to three would have been the right time. Maybe if they had started SummerSlam that year instead of the next year, possibly. Because waiting six months for the rematch, I mean, yes, they could, back then they used to build it for that long, but that may have been a little too long for a build. On the number eight list. Could be. Tito Santana. Not El Matador, but Tito Santana. Former Intercontinental Champion, former Tag Team Champion. The only belt he really needed for the Grand Slam was the World title. And Tito was a workhorse. And I had him, once again, on my list. You didn't have him on yours. Um, and that's the last one that we actually disagree on uh, for the rest of the list. But I think Tito could have held it. He could have been Hogan, necessarily, unless he turned heel. Now, if he had turned heel, which he never did, as far as I know, Tito was a face his entire career. But if he had turned heel, oh, that would have sold some tickets because he was a pretty – 
much white hot baby face. You know, there weren't too many more that were popular, more popular than Tito. And so you take somebody who's that popular, you turn them heel, oh, you're going to sell some tickets. And, so that's why, that's why I had him on my list. And, and I, I declare shenanigans on this one, too, <laughs> because this is actually number six on your list. And he he was the Intercontinental Champion. He lost to Macho Man 85. Yeah, I watched that but, match live. What happened not in the arena live, but I was actually at somebody's house watching what happened on the New England But, it, but he, ha- he had no merchandise. He was being pushed down the card like well, not opening match, but three matches. And starting 87, he was a tag team specialist and moved into strike force with Rick Martell. Well, I'm offering this up as a counter to that. They would have went the other way. Uh, because when Rick Martell came in, of course, he came in with Tom Zink. The reason they, they couldn't him all in with Tito is because Zink, of course, left. There was, like, some contract disputes. And, you know, even though um, Martell and Zink were there as the Can-Am connection, I thought it was a great team. Oh, they um, were fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, and then when they made Strike Force, and of course they they threw Tito in there because like, oh, go, we need to partner with Mr. Martel, the former AWA World Champion Martel. So I don't know why they didn't start pushing singles then, but that's another story. Um, but if you went with Rick Martel, you have the argument that he was the former AWA champion and had just come in fresh. Martel could have been it because we saw that with the the model gimmick later on. Totally, that that one totally caught me off guard when that happened. Um, but not 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 great guy, uh, a, a successful post wrestling, but it has as much chance of beating Hogan as Steve Lombardi. Um, speaking of all-time baby faces, somebody who never can heal, our next pick, and this is one we both agree on, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. So, Ricky Steamboat during this period, and, and I think he, we both both agree, face the good guy the whole time. This could have worked just for like an honor match. Yes, this well, this could have been a face versus face, him versus Hogan. So this and this could have been Hulk Hogan, Shawn Michaels in the eighties. Except for I don't think you'd have Ricky Steamboat in there showing his rear end, you know, just because uh, he's going with temper tension. Hey, but Ricky Steamboat. Good-looking guy, had had the build prior to his son being born, where he had the falling out with the company. Easily the number two, number three babyface on the show. 
always puts on a good match. Technically sound. No outside demons. And you could have went with could have went with his ethnicity and really pushed that Vince would have found a way to make money off of that. He always does, whether it's right or wrong. So no no record that Bo and Hogan ever wrestled. No, I don't and, think really. I don't I don't think they ever did. And researching I couldn't find a match where they even teamed together. They did it well, it had to be in the WWE. And during this period and it maybe for like a house show or something like that. But Hogan didn't on the house show he still didn't defend the title. Um, wow. I think maybe we ought to contact Ricky Steamboat and ask him because I'm pretty sure Hogan's not gonna answer. So when you wish Hogan a happy birthday from the Twitter page, <laughs> questions. Team with the dragon. So speaking of chasing dragons and substance abuse. Oh. Uh, number six pick. And also another animal. How about that? Jake the Snake Roberts. So this this feud is stuff of legend. And if you hear Jake the Snake actually tell the story, he's got a reason to uh to be upset. Did a interview segment with him and Hogan and Jake uh Jake was out cheered. He out cheered Hulk Hogan. Yeah. During the segment. Yeah, they had him in one match. Apparently, and people are chaining DDT, DDT, and you know you're the bad guy that the fans are cheering for you. And as a result, instead of making him Hogan's next opponent, they turned him babyface and made him number two under Hogan for a good couple year period and kinda kinda killed his elevation. Oh, I agree. And I think yeah, Jake, the one the one thing I'd say though about him not holding the title at all, and this is almost kind of a compliment, is if he held the title, it actually would have like you said, I mean it would have Lowered his uh, his push sign. They lowered his character instead of elevated. Because Jake really, he's one of those guys. They all say, "Well, he doesn't need a title." But he was over. Everybody, you know, either loved him or hated him. There wasn't in between. And he had one of the best promos, one of the scariest promos in the business. And he had the skill set, and and he, he was very, very believable. But if you couldn't get him the title, though, and maybe I could see him having it as a heel. Not as a baby face, but as a heel. No matter what, 
because um, he's deceptively tall. So yeah. him and Hogan are so close to almost the same size. Dastardly enough as a heel to do whatever he had to ring psychology were guaranteed to have good matches. Like he, he was one of the best in the 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 snake being a, a prop or an addition to his character. The one thing that kinda held it back and I don't know when this truly start started, but his outside lifestyle. You would have watched the Beyond the Mat uh, documentary, which I'm pretty sure you have. Um, they talk about how he, um, after he'd already basically been paid, after he had the book, and then he said, okay, unless you go get me some crap, I'm not wrestling. And so his his drug problems, his substance abuse problems, had started right about here. Now, probably earlier than that, because I mean, his childhood and his upbringing um, and all the upbringing, and, um, he had a very, very, it was kind of tragic, really. There's a video, Resurrection of Jake the Snake, where he gets into all that. Yep. But r- reliability lifestyle choices in the ring the man could do it even while high. Yeah. And are altered chemically. No matter what he could do it. Reliability could was he gonna mess up an interview on national television? That's that's the big question. And that happened well, it wasn't an interview on television, but it was, what was it, the, um, it was the WWE, it was the Legends of the Ring, I think was the name of the pay-per-view. Yeah, it, it happened much later, but he was already yeah. deep in the... He was already, yeah. Oh. So, we're we're about halfway through, we got a top five... I believe it would be time for a quick break. Sure, get too much of a break right now. And we're back. So, Kyle, so, you want to get to the who the top was? Or is? So, top five, and, and this is where we differ. Uh, so, remember when we rank our top five. I chose my five, you chose your five, and then they got the 20 through 15 number. So this is my third pick. This is your fifth pick. And it's Rowdy Rowdy Piper. And the most notable opponent Hogan had during this time period and two two years of matches with with Hogan, no no clear victor. He never let Hogan pin him, and Hogan never allowed the opposite. 
But talk about a man who could garner heat and talk people into a building to watch him get his butt kicked. Yep. And he was, was he PWI's most hated wrestler of the year in 1984? Definitely. Well, he, multiple time when, when he was in L.A. wrestling the Guerreros, and he announces to the crowd that they should rise for the Mexican national anthem and then has them play La Cucaracha. Yeah, that's not going to make any plans. No, especially out in Los Angeles. Yeah. So, believable that he could fit Hogan well. WrestleMania 1 could have reasonably been Hulk Hogan and Rowdy Piper for the heavyweight championship. Honestly, I think it probably should have been uh, because they had the world champion in a tag team. And one of them they said later on that was actually a huge mistake in their part. And if you notice, ever since then, the world champion has always had a singles match at WrestleMania. Or at least the title is up for grabs. It may be in a triple threat or four corner or whatever. But either way, they're not going to be in a tag team match. So they said it was, it was a big mistake. You know, granted, they bought Mr. T's star power. And Mr. T, I mean, he was a big star at the time. And so they were getting all the all the press and all the attention. And, you know, what is his wrestling thing? And why is Liberace in there? Dancing with the Rockettes and... You know, um, well, elevation to the business, but it could have been more. And, yeah, I think Hogan and Piper should have been the main event of WrestleMania 1 because they had already been building up Piper anyway, and he slammed the gold record over, um, what is it, Cindy Lauper's head? Cindy Lauper's head. Yeah. And Lou Albano and all that was going on. And so, yeah, I think it would have made more sense to have it as that as the match for WrestleMania. So, definitely a missed opportunity with Rowdy Piper. And what we need right now is for all the people on the podcast to uh, close their eyes and shut their mouths because we're going to talk about what a real man looks like. And that's our number four who should have beat Hulk Hogan Ravishing Rick Rude. Yep. And do you know he is one person that Hogan would he refused to wrestle him? Refused to wrestle him because he was legitimately scared that Rick Rude would have beat the piss out of him. Yep, because I think the only time they had any kind of tussles was was it in a either Survivor Series or a Royal Rumble? And Rude laid some chops in or something, and Hogan's like, nope, I'm not doing this. And Rude was legitimately tough. Every time you, you hear him talking, they said he was tough, and he was not somebody to cross. He was, uh, his Minneapolis days are stuff of legend. He could rival Road Warrior Hawk on some, some fighting stories. Arm wrestler, really good if you 
research those. But instant heat magnet and the ultimate heel. Also backed by the family. So Bobby Heenan was his manager. Don't know if he needed him, but he added something in the WWF. And all the man had to do was grab a mic and take off his robe, and you instantly hate him for the entire match. Well, men hated him. Women loved him. Well, Jake Roberts' wife didn't love him. Well, she didn't love him. Not you know, not that we know of anyway. So but the man, he was, I think he was kind of loving like all the women. But, but hold on, not all women. He definitely discriminated against fat women. That's true. So, uh, Rick Rude, just a heat magnet. Perfect, perfect look for the WWF at that time period. If there was ever category like the best six pack abs, I think it would have been Rick Rude. Or at least he would have been in the top five. Kind of like what he is here. Don't know if his five choices were affecting him at that point. I, I believe his issues, he had them under control. Yeah, especially in comparison to some of the wrestlers of that day. But immediately believable that he could have beat Hogan if they wrestled. Yep, because when he went to the WWF, I had read about him in all the magazines, and I had seen some footage of him from Texas, where he was managed by, later on became known as, Paul Bear. And but when he came to WWF, I'm like, oh, this is going to be cool. So, Travis Wrestler, technically sound, of the Minnesota crew, not named uh, Kurt Henning, the man got believable matches out of the Ultimate Warrior in 89 and 90. I think he would have been all right doing a, a couple rounds with Hulk Hogan if he needed to. But... Uh, a missed opportunity, especially that they never wrestled. And that was not due to Rick Rude, though. That was all due to Rick We have uh, three three wrestlers remaining on our top ten list. Do you want to talk about some of the honorable mentions? Well, the first honorable mention I will lay out is the only one who we both voted on but did not make the top ten. That'd be Bam Bam Bigelow. I love watching Bam Bam. Bam Bam. Man, as big as what he was, he was pulling off cruiserweight moves. The first 400-pound man to come off the top rope. That we know of. There may have been somebody, but yeah. But that we know of, and he was doing it. You know, he, he didn't struggle. He just did it. And he was the, the first person I ever saw with a tattoo in their head. Right. The first guy I'd ever tattoo his head. 
Also a tremendous cameo in the movie Major Pain. Yep. But 87 with Oliver Humperdinck, uh, they came in, they brought him in as a face. Would have been very believable as a Hogan opponent during that period. And, and definitely could have beat him. Yep. Um, but Bam Bam was actually tied with uh, two other guys at number 11. Um, first one, main event, WrestleMania 2, with Hogan. King Kong Bundy. King Kong Bundy, interesting choice. I just... He, he was believable, but when Hogan beat him, it kind of, like, he never recovered. Yeah, it took all the wind out of his sails. And, of course, I think that happened with a lot of Hogan's opponents. Uh, but for some reason, Bundy, they just they did not push him after that because he went from being in the main event at WrestleMania 2 to all of a sudden he's wrestling in Hillbilly Gym and some midgets at WrestleMania 3. Please refer fact, to them as little people. And he hurt he hurt one of the midgets uh, because he dropped an elbow, like a legitimate elbow on him. Little um, people. Little people. <laughs> now, I thought, either way, this big 400-pound man dropped an elbow on a man who was, however tall, it was a little beaver. Right. And the little beaver actually never recovered. I don't think he ever wrestled again. And the interesting one, I counter with the honky-tonk man who is our number three mentioned, and that was because he spent two years as the Intercontinental Champion. I'll call shenanigans on that should have never happened. So the, he, he could have had the guitar as a weapon, Taking out Hogan, uh, excuse me, autographed the guitar on Hogan's head. You had interference from the Jimmy Hart stable of wrestlers. And he's way more believable like Holkoff or Tito Santana. No. That's where, and that's where we disagree. Of course, that's why we had the discussions, and that's why we had the podcast. So we want to make the most successful podcast ever. So if you're listening, tell your friends. Anyway, let's go ahead and move on to number three. So number three, we've had this guy pretty high on both of our lists. Um, so I, go ahead. I think um, of the people that could have beat Hogan. This, early in his reign, twice was friend and turned on him. This reign, fans believed it, it made money, and it was because Paul Orndorff was Mr. Wonderful. I remember when he turned on Hogan. I mean, you saw it coming a mile away. Um. 
in the car. He's, I'm trying to get a hold of Hogan, but he's in his gym. He won't come to the phone, and blah, blah, blah. And then they wrestled uh, the Moondogs first, and Moondorf wouldn't tag in Hogan. And then they wrestled Bundy and Big John Studd. And then after the match, he clotheslined um, Hogan and then did his jumping pile driver. Which to me, that was one of those moves. And I was like, he, he just picked up and jumped up and came down with the pile. That was his move was the, the jumping pile driver. And I'm like, but, that's it. He's winning the title. That, that was that's, that's what I figured. That, that's it. He's going to make it. Muscled, muscled out of his mind. Yeah. All state, like, recognized football in Florida, where it's not easy to, um, and he- headlines, definitely the, sh- the Super Show in Toronto in And they had that on the network. I actually watched it for the very first time ever a couple months ago. I just wanted to see the two of them. Solid, solid wrestler. No real bad habits. Good-looking man. Had the mouthpiece. It would have been believable. And... Yeah, legitimate tough guy. Uh, Beat beat up Van Bader while wearing flip-flops. I was going to say that. I and <laughs> good matches, and but small enough where he could have defended against other baby faces during that period, and put on good, believable matches. Oh, I agree. And he became so hated. I mean, you just, you wanted to see him get beat, but he was so good. And the way they had him turn Hogan, you didn't think he could get beat. And so that's what would have made him a pretty good pick to beat Hogan. been hated enough where the fans would have cheered Hogan on the chase. Yes. And if they laid him out, if they laid Hogan out in the victory celebration, the the return and the rematches would have done unbelievable numbers. And but now now we go to our two hardest choices and this is really a pulse up if you ask me. I mean but we have reasons. Um, well, go, go ahead. He's your, he's your first choice. Yep. Number the number two pick for Kyle and I's combined rank. And the reason I chose him is because he had gone against Hogan during this time. This is before um, their later matches. And I'm talking about Macho Man Randy Savage. He had gone against Hogan before the build-up started for WrestleMania two. Uh, and he had beaten Hogan by countout in Madison Square Garden twice, by two consecutive months. And in the third month, they had a lumberjack match. And this is when Randy was the Intercontinental Champion, but they had a lumberjack match. Back 
you know, when Lumberjack matches actually meant the guys were outside the ring, they, they didn't turn into a battle royal the way they do it now, which is just stupid if you ask me, but that's another story. Um, because during the match, in the, in the match, I think it, it may have been live from Madison Square Garden. I was actually watching it at somebody, the same person's house that I watched Savage beat uh, Beto, you know, for the Intercontinental title. Hogan all of a sudden slid out of the ring, ran over and he punched Magnificent Morocco and King Kong Bundy in the head, and then he ran back in the ring. I said, oh, that's because of, you know, Hogan, what they did to him the other night on Saturday Night's Main Event. But this was being shown before the recording of Saturday Night's Main Event. It was kind of a spoiler because Hogan had his ribs taped and because when they had that thing with Bundy, you know, he did the avalanche on him, and that's when they were building up the WrestleMania too. Um, but I still remember the end of the match was Hogan, he threw Randy off the ropes. Well, one of the baby-faced lumberjacks grabbed Randy's foot, tripped him, he fell down on his face, but rolled over on his back, and Hogan leg-dropped him one, two, three. Here it is, 30-some-odd years later, and I still remember that match. That's why I chose Savage, because he had beaten him, and then he proved later on he could hold the title. And with the chase, that actually did happen. Now, it was after 1988, you know, so that's why we can't necessarily include that one because um, it was after our time frame that was already established. But the chase did happen, and it did bring in money, and, it, of course, it was the main event of WrestleMania 5. So, I, I, think, I think during this initial period, and we're talking 85, and you could argue 287 that Savage is still proving himself in the WWF and his size, because Vince is into a certain look at this period, his size works against him. So he was definitely improving on the on the promos and the talking. The Oh yeah. And we are back. Are you there, Carl? Yeah, much like your inclusion of Nikolai Volkov, we had technical difficulties. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So um also very long commercial break there. And since we were just talking about number two when we the Richard Randy Macho Man Savage. Um I, I know I put Macho Man further down my list. Not because more believable at the um, uh, number four. By by nineteen eighty eight or by the time he had lost to Ricky Steamboat. He was a vi- he he's been the next challenger. But uh, they rebuilt him and had him chase Honky Tonk Man. And then they WrestleMania four, I mean that that worked out for him. And he, he had a impressive year with the title but didn't get the full in his first reign. Well, the program they had with him and um, with the belt, and then he was—they already had it. 
upset that he was going to be losing to Hogan. They actually had that planned two years in advance. That was back when they actually did that kind of thing. Uh, I'd be kind of scared to try it now, but so they actually had that that, that set up. Um, for, for Macho Man, it was a worthy discussion if he would have been the better opponent for Hogan at WrestleMania 2. I think so. Um, except that they were looking for the visual. That's why they wanted right. Hogan Bundy. But Bundy, I mean, looks like, you know, if he sits on you, you're going to die. I don't know if WrestleMania 2, the main event, like it was King Kong Bundy, and we look at him differently now. But Macho Man Hogan, they didn't think Macho Man had the star power at that time. And I could see why they held off on that. Unlike our choice for number one. And this is one you had him as number one. I had him as number two, so... Um, this line. Give me a there, Kyle. My number one pick for who should have beat Hulk Hogan between 1984 and 1988, Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. And, and this, so he came into WWF in 1987 with the best series of net ever put out by the WWF. Yeah. Like, he comes in, he's he's a money player, and immediately hated the moment he comes on screen. And I still use every price line. The laugh that he has. (laughs) That is comes in, tries to buy the title off Hogan, and for whatever reason, when Hogan rejects him, they don't have the million-dollar man wrestle for the belt. Well, you haven't heard about why they created the million-dollar belt? No, I know why they created the million-dollar belt, but he tries to buy the title off Hogan on one of the Saturday morning shows during an interview. Hogan, of course, says no, but they never really wrestled after that. That may have been because DiBiase was a very, very good wrestler. He was one of the ones, and he didn't didn't go in there and punch. He didn't go in there and kick and slap fight. Like, really, Roddy Piper, I mean, that was what most of his matches were. And DiBiase went in there, and he was he was taking people to Suplex City long before Brock Lesnar. I mean, the man knew like every Suplex there was, but he also knew how to run. Uh, he and Tully Blanchard remind me of each other a lot because they the babyface would kind of go at him, and he'd kind of do this thing where he would go to the corner and kind of duck between the top and the middle row, and the referee would say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa." You know, and that, that kind of chicken move right there, I thought was just so classic for them they could do that. And, you know, the man, he could wrestle. And it's not make Hogan look bad. I don't know. But a, 
a UWF, a, Mid, a Mid-South Wrestling Champion, had, had Virgil run in interference. And his uh, lifestyle choice was women, not really drugs and alcohol. And he has actually talked about that. So now he is the reverend Ted DiBiase. Yeah, he was built enough to be believable. Tremendous wrestler, great on the mic. You know, with the money Vince was paying him to run the gimmick, it would have been great in interviews. Perfect for Regis and Kathy Lee. Yep. When they were doing that, and because everyone hated him, would have sold out shows no matter who he wrestled against. While Hogan was to see him get beat, kind of like Flair. And of course, ironically enough, Dubiowski—he was funding NWO with Hogan. Yeah, at that point, all of the WWF, the former wrestlers, seemed to join NWO. But uh, the whole thing um, with Ted DiBiase could have came in in right away, been believable, just like Orndorff before him, Macho Man, would have been believable, and but Vince liked the the superstar character, and to Vince, size matters. So we have about a minute and a half left there, my friends. So what is on the agenda for next week? So ne- next week we are going to talk about and potentially rebook SummerSlam 1988, the first of its kind. Yep. And we're talking about classic wrestling. What is being put out on WWF television, Blunderground, is not worthy of a podcast. Yeah. I don't know what they're trying to accomplish, except for just to get people talking. I mean, that's one thing it is doing. It is getting people talking. The only thing is when it's making me change the channel. Well, by that point, I'm already, like, out because I have to get up so early in the morning. And they always have it. They seem to have it as, like, one of the last um, parts of the show. So... Although, either way, Kyle, that's our, we just got our cue, friend, that we will talk to everyone next week. Next week it is. All right. Are you still there? 